If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're sad and you know it, clap your hands. If you're mad and you know it and you don't want to show it, but you're mad and you know it, clap your hands. Ah, no matter how you feel, my friends, I totally get it. You're a human and you have emotions, but guess what? Romans 15 and 13 said, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So however emotion you feel, it's okay. Trust in the Almighty. Amen. Amen. I'm Nate, and I'll be doing your morning announcements. Let's go. November 12th, water baptism. Ah, if you are ready to profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you want to shout it on the mountaintops, then mark November 12th in your calendar so you can get baptized in front of the congregation of New Life Church. But first, before you do that, you got to take a class. The class is October 22nd, right here in church. It'll be in the New Life Conference room. Take the class, and then you'll get baptized right afterwards. November 12th, you can do it, and I look forward to seeing you. NLC's new membership class is coming up October 29th, right after the 11 a.m. service. Have you been sitting in your chair, listening to the sermons, talking to people, saying to yourself, wow, this church is great. Man, would I like to learn more about the doctrine and faith and everything this church stands for. Well, we have a perfect solution for you. It's that class I'm telling you about. So mark this in your calendar, October 29th. You go to that class, we'll teach you everything that we need to know, or should I say, everything that you need to know about our church, and you'll have the opportunity to become a member. How awesome is that? October 31st is happening, Fall Fest, right here at NLC Church, and it's happening October 31st from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., so make sure you come, bring your friends, your family, the whole community is invited. We are opening our doors to invite everyone in so that they can enjoy the fun. By the way, there's going to be food, candy, games, performers, balloons. No one's confirmed balloons with me, but I feel like because I said it on announcements, you need to hold tight to your word, Pastor Brent, and bring balloons. It's going to be a hoot. You're going to love it. And if you are interested in hosting a booth during the Fall Fest, you are so welcome to do so. Hosting a booth just means you have an area where you can play games, you can decorate it, you can make it look festive. It's going to be so much fun, and all you have to do is sign up on your Connect card today. All right, friends, that's a wrap for your church announcements. And remember, your emotions that you feel, it's all right. Understand the Lord is on your side. He's in front of you. He's behind you. He's with you. And he promised that he'll never leave you. So you have a fantastic rest of your day. Never forget, Jesus loves you. Adios. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Brent. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, today is going to be a great day. I believe God's going to continue what he's already begun today. Um, just a, a few things I want to just reiterate. First of all, Baptism Sunday coming up. It's going to be great. But the reason I want to mention it is next Sunday is that class. And you say, uh, why is a class necessary? Can't we just believe and be baptized? Yes, you can. But we want to also help you out with like what to plan for like 
how to get dressed, where, to, where, to, where all those things are going to happen. Get, do I bring a towel? Do I wear, wear what shorts or whatever? Things like that. Also, we're going to go through what baptism represents and things like that. And we want to get you a t-shirt that has a baptism t-shirt that you get to keep as a souvenir of remembering what Jesus did for you. I like seeing people who've been baptized still rocking their made new t-shirts. That's awesome. So that's next Sunday, though, at 930. And from what I've heard, we have a crew of people getting baptized. So you'll want to be here at this time. And you're meeting upstairs in the conference room for that, all right? It's going to be a great, great thing. Um, Just so you know, uh, in the next service, we're going to be honoring Pastor Bruce. Pastor Bruce right now is teaching his Sunday school class, but this is the last Sunday that he's going to be teaching it. Um, He, uh, after 20 years of teaching that class faithfully, is going to be stepping away from that. We are so thankful for the years of service Pastor Bruce has given to that. And I don't want to let any cats out of the bag or anything like that, but uh, I've been in conversations with Pastor Bruce about what the next season looks like for him, because I don't want him to just set aside that teaching gift God's given him, and so we're talking about what the next season's going to look like for him. But just as a, just as a, for fun, uh, my mom gave me the, a couple weeks ago these huge totes. She said, Brent, these are my memories of you. Enjoy. And she just gave them to me. Like, now they're just sitting in my house. So we decided to go through them the other day, and we're digging through these big totes, and for some reason in the totes was... Uh, this thing from the Oregon Council of the Assemblies of God from 1983. This is the year I was born. Perhaps that's why, but um, I don't think anything in it is about me. It says 1983 old-fashioned camp meeting. But if it's from 1983 and old-fashioned, then this is old, old-fashioned, okay? But uh, in it, there's a whole article on Pastor Bruce and Audrey, and they're serving in Chile. And uh, what's, what's really amazing to me, I was like, wow. He was doing that even in 1983, and then I read it said, the Mannings have ministered in Chile for 20 years, and that's in 1983. So uh, just uh, amazing. It talks about uh, the different classes he's done. Pretty cool. So um, one of the reasons Pastor Bruce is wrapping things up is next week, he gets to go to Chile, and they're going to be honoring him down in Chile for the the missions work he has done there, and the church, the national church there is going to be recognizing him, recognizing him. So that's pretty cool, huh? Um, so anyway, uh, after second service, I'll put this at the Welcome Center so people can take a look at it if you're still here. With that said, right now we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. So ushers, spring yourselves from your chairs, prepare yourselves, and uh, church, if you will prepare yourselves to give. We're going to um, come into just the, 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 the house of God with our tithes um, prepared and prepare our hearts to give from a posture of thanksgiving, from a posture of faith. And so thank, thank you for your giving, church. Thank you for being so faithful and following through um, in, in obedience. The Bible says we're to bring into the storehouse what is his. And so right now we do that. There's several ways you can do that. There's the modern ways of, of online. You can go to nlcchurch.com slash give or through the Sunday links. Or you can use cash or check, which are in the seat back in front of you there. There's a tithe envelope right there. Let's prepare ourselves, everyone, and let's give. Lord, we thank you so much for this day that you have made. We come into your house not just to lift our voices in worship, but in every aspect of worship through our giving, through surrendering probably one of the hardest things that it is to surrender, the finances that, that we depend on. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless the givers, bless those who say, Father, I'm acting in obedience today, I'm going to step out in faith today. And we thank you, God, that you do follow through, that you're a God who keeps his promises. We give you praise today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
All right, we're continuing our series through the life of David, a series I entitled Of Shepherds and Kings. I liked that title because David's life and it just covers such a broad spectrum of experiences. Talk about going from the very least to the highest level and then right back down to the very least. He was on the run. Um, he, his life just was the spectrum of the human experience. And so we're going through David's life. Um, here's here's where, where we're going to start today. So we've gone through David being anointed right, by Samuel, and then David kills Goliath. Last week we went through David killing Goliath, and, and then he chops off his head, and the Israelites win a great victory, chasing the Philistines back to Gath and, and that whole area. And so now we're continuing the story. And so here's my uh, quiz for you. I'm, I'm curious to see what you come up with here. If we can go to the next slide. My question for you is, what do these six people have in common? Okay, this is not a shouted out kind of thing, but just look it over. What do these six people have in common? All right. The answer is that none of them exist. They are all AI-generated people. That is, that is literally images of people that do not exist in real life. A computer has conglomerated different elements and made these people... Does that weird you out as much as it weirds me out? That's bizarre. Um, and, and in our world, it's getting harder and harder to define what's genuine and what's fake, isn't it? We've got, we've got all these things that, that, uh, that can be created through voice modeling and, and through images. Uh, you watch a Star Wars uh, episode and they can like put a character that's from 30, 40 years ago on the screen as though they're there in their youth, you know? It's crazy what's going on. So it's getting harder and harder to distinguish between genuine and fake, what's real and what's fraudulent. And so I, I, I look at these, I'm like, how are those not real people? But they, they're just made up in a computer. It's, it blows my mind. So I was thinking about this in terms of our relationships. What is a real friendship? What is a genuine friendship? In 2010, Burger King ran a marketing campaign. And they said, if you go on your Facebook account and you unfriend 10 people and send us the proof, they had some sort of system of doing it, we will give you a free Whopper. And, uh, and, and this was kind of just a marketing stunt. They thought, you know, people will find out about this, will notify people or their friends will find out. And they're like, you unfriended me for a Whopper? And, and really, they're going to say, the, the people that got unfriended are just going to be like, wow, that must be a really fantastic hamburger. If our friendship was worth, you know, that hamburger, it must be really, really good. Well, their plan worked really well. Um, the New York Times reported that that uh, within the first week, 233,906 friendships had been terminated. And, uh, and BK was on the hook for 23,000 Whoppers. And so they immediately discontinued that ad campaign and that promotion. They were like, this was a bad idea. People were just cutting off friendships left and right. They're like, more Whoppers, you know? Um, so I do know that Facebook friendships are not always real friendships. Um, this is... Uh, you know, we, we friend people. I, I had a buddy that the other day said, hey, to the guy that I met in 2009 at the concert, we are going to be friends forever on Facebook. You know, like that, that kind of thing where you friend someone and they just live there forever. But I, I think it does speak to kind of our culture's view of friendship of it being an exchangeable commodity. An easily dropped thing, something you can move on with, something you can move forward from. And so um, it's, it's a really interesting thing because we live in a world that is connected like it's never been connected before. 
We talk about our planet getting ever smaller. Um, speaking of which, I was going through that bin, and my mom had my graduation cards that everybody sent me when I graduated from high school. And I was like, please, somebody have left cash in there I didn't find. So I'm going through each card looking for money. And uh, the only thing I found was a calling card from Walmart. Some people don't even know what a calling card is. It's this card that you could use to call long distance. And uh, anyway, long story short, uh, I was thinking about trying to return it to Walmart. But the world has gotten so small. Now we can call anywhere in the world. We can do it for free. We can do it through Skype or through you know FaceTime, all these different things. Our world is getting smaller, but at the same time, we are living more lonely, isolated lives than ever before. Perhaps many of us have dozens and dozens of these kind of pseudo relationships where we we live lives in parallel but they rarely intersect we we um, move in our vehicles between home and work and straight between and we don't um, really have deep friendships the number of people who say they have no close friendships has more than tripled since 1995 and so what's interesting is this wasn't god's design or intent we were created from community for community by god God created us from community. He, he, before creation even happened, God existed in perfect community within the Trinity. So God existed in community, and then from that community, he created Adam. And then when he, after he created Adam, he realized it's not good for Adam to be alone because we were created to need relationships. We have to have those. And so even within the animal companions that God gave Adam, it wasn't enough. You weren't just meant to live at home alone with your cat. Um, Now, am I saying that it's wrong to be single and own a cat? No, I'm saying it's wrong to own a cat, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, we require relationships with people that are deeper than those we just get with a pet or a plant or our TV or possessions or anything else. And the arc of scripture exists within this paradigm. We look at people like Moses, who had Aaron, and Naomi, who had Ruth. And Paul, who had Silas, and Jesus, he had his disciples, but even within that core, he had a core of three men, uh, Peter, James, and John, that were these close friendships. And uh, and as I was reading Exodus this last year, I realized something. In Exodus, it was considered a curse to be cut off from the community. If you lost relationship with the community, that was considered a curse. And so we were designed to need community. It was required. And so in our story we've been reading, David has killed Goliath. He's cut off his head. And he's been brought back essentially on people's shoulders, right? They're celebrating him. And they bring him back to the palace. And so he goes to the palace and he meets with King Saul. So our story is going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, open them with me. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. It says this, after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son, and there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. And from that day on, Saul kept David with him and would not let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. So Jonathan Jonathan sealed that pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow. And his belt. I like what the ESV in the original Hebrew reads when we read that verse where it says that he, he loved him and their souls bonded. It actually says that his soul was knit together with David's. 
Um, this word is the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis chapter 44, verse 30, when it's expressing Jacob's love for his son Benjamin. I don't know if you remember that story, but uh, Jacob had many sons. He loved them all, uh, but he especially loved his son Benjamin. There was a deep love and affection for Benjamin. And so this is the same word, knit, that's used there between this father-son relationship. So um, if you consider... Why would these two men become such close friends? Why would they bond so deeply? Well, they had a lot in common, and I think a great reason to bond together is deep, on a deep level. First of all, um, I think they found a, an affection in the other that they didn't find in their own families. Look at where they both came from. David came from what I would consider a pretty dysfunctional family, if your dad doesn't even acknowledge you as son, and his brothers despised him. They thought he was a worm. They thought he was a terrible person. They were like, you're annoying. You're just here to... They questioned his motives and heart. So David comes from a family that despised him. And Jonathan's father had actually already tried to kill him once before. And uh, he would give it another shot a little later. If your father's actively trying to kill you, you kind of go, there's some family dynamic issues there, right? And so both of these guys are coming from families that are highly dysfunctional, uh, that, are, that are really broken. And so they find this deep friendship. And I, I, would, I would suggest that deep, meaningful friendships can supplement areas where the family structure, as it should be, has failed. Some of us have found deep, meaningful, almost familial relationship in places where we haven't had that support before. Or where it's been broken. And so that's where they, they, they build this. And so over the next 12 chapters, as we go from verse, chapter 18 on through the end of 1 Samuel, David's life is going to become very tumultuous. Uh, most of it would be spent, he's living in the wilderness. He's living in caves. It's, uh, he's even living with the sworn enemies of Israel. This is how bad it gets. He's running for his life, so he goes and lives with the Philistines for a while. The guys he was just killing um, because he is on the run trying to survive being hunted by Saul. And so throughout these chapters, this character, this person of Jonathan pops up on occasion. He pops up um, just throughout at vital times and it illustrates the powerful dynamic and the vitality of friendship through a life. So the first thing we see is this. True friendships are sacrificial. True friendships are sacrificial. Um, there's a story of a couple of buddies that went to dinner together. They went to a steakhouse and they both ordered the same steak. And uh, they bring out the steaks and one steak is easily twice the size of the other steak. And one of the guys goes, I'll take the big one. I got that one. I got it. And he takes it and his friend is like, what are you doing, man? He's like, what? He said, why did you take the big steak? He's like, it's huge. It looks delicious. He says, well, that's not what a friend would do. And he goes, why? What would you do? He said, I would have said, you can have the big steak. And he said, well, there you go. Everything worked out. You would have given it to me. So there it is. (laughs) True friendship is sacrificial. Jonathan made a formal pact of friendship and he loved him as as though he loved himself. And if you recall, that's actually part of the greatest commandment that Jesus gives, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And twice here it says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Now, it seems odd because it talks about here that they made a covenantal relationship. A covenant in the Bible is a very formal thing. It's almost like writing up a contract. What they would do is they would take animals, divide them in half, actually tear them in half, and put them on two sides of a walkway. Then each party would pass between them. And what it represented was, may it be to me as it is to these animals if I break my pact with you. 
And so it was a very deep, formal thing. And you'd say, you'd say, what kind of friendship is that? Like, you'd make a formal statement like that. But culturally, this was normal to say, this is my commitment, and I'm going to demonstrate it in this way to you. And it was a powerful statement because they're saying, I'm committing to you beyond simply having shared interest. You like bows and arrows? I like bows and arrows. Um, you know, or, or similar personalities. It's a deep commitment beyond just like we happen to enjoy the same TV show or whatever it might be, but there's a commitment that goes beyond that. And he gave David his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, this was more than David just getting Jonathan's hand-me-downs. I was the youngest cousin in our family. I got the hand-me-downs. He wasn't just giving him what was left over. These were highly symbolic items. Um, if you recall the story of Elijah and Elisha, um, Elisha received the mantle that came from Elijah. The mantle was a garment that went over his shoulders that represented his authority and his position. In the same way, in a kingly way, there was this succession that would occur. And when Jonathan gave him his robes, when Jonathan gave him his tunic and sword, he was saying, I am giving you what is rightfully mine. And he was prince. He was, he was in line to be king. Who, like, okay, if I just gave it away. Who's in line to be king here, right? Jonathan is the son of Saul. Who's rightfully next up when Saul dies? Jonathan, right? Jonathan, by succession, should be the next king. But, but yet he recognized David was God's anointed, and he willingly stepped down from the rightful claim he had to the throne. And this, it's such a juxtaposition of Saul and Jonathan. Saul who's holding on for dear life to everything that he has. And Jonathan who's willingly giving it away. And so here Jonathan l- releases this claim he has to the throne. And, and every indication we have, this is what has always baffled me. Every indication we have of, as we've read this is that Jonathan has done nothing wrong. He hasn't sinned. He hasn't gone against God's way. He hasn't done anything. If anything, it was his father's failure. But yet he saw in David that he was called. He saw in David that he was God's anointed. And he willingly stepped down. You see, it's incredible. Jonathan's name means Yahweh has given. And there's something powerful about that. To have the self-awareness and humility to step back and to give himself away. Because he saw the call on David's life. But the question that we have to deal with then is how often do we see God's blessing on someone around us and do we celebrate them and champion them even though we feel like we've been overlooked by God? I've done everything right. I haven't failed. Why are you exalting them? Why are you lifting them up? But true friendship looks for the good for the other. It's sacrificial and this is what Jonathan did. He, he was looking to the good for the other. Look at Romans chapter 12 verses 9 through 10. Paul says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. I love that first f- sentence. Don't just pretend to love others. Some of us, oh man, I can actually be pretty good at that. <laughs> pretend to love others. But he says there's got to be some real actual meat on the bone here. There's got to be something that actually is substantive in our love. And so he says we should actually love people to the point that we celebrate them and we honor them even when we ourselves aren't. And so as time goes on, Saul continues to grow in his jealousy of David. Um, His envy, his paranoia uh, continues to increase. And so David has to flee for his life. There's a couple of times where Saul tries to turn David into a human dartboard with his spear. He tries to pin him to the wall, the Bible says. And so David is like, you know what? I think I'm out. 
And so he takes off, and, uh, and, and he's living kind of on the lamb, and, and at great personal risk, Jonathan agrees to do some reconnaissance work for David. David's like, I don't know if I should come back to the palace. Your dad has tried to kill me a couple times, and I want to know if it's serious. And, uh, and Jonathan says, okay, we'll, we'll set up a plan here to see if this is real. So here's what I'll do. We'll ask him a, a certain couple of questions. There's a special dinner that's going to happen, and you don't come, and I'll give him the reason why. And if he freaks out, we'll know that he's really angry, okay? And so they come up with this plan. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 5 through 7, it says, David replied, Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I asked permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual sacrifice. If he says, fine, then you'll know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know he is determined to kill me. So they go through with this plan, moving ahead to verse 27. This is the result. In verse 27, it says, But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if he could go to Bethlehem. He said, Please let me go, for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there, so please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death, Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. Fortunately, it seems that Saul was a terrible shot with a spear. Um, if you read in other translations, Jonathan is angry, and not that he tried to get speared by his dad, but for the sake of David. Jonathan is furious that his father would have this out for David. And so he goes and at great risk has this meeting, and then he goes and at great risks warns David. Um, and the truth is, true friendship protects the other. True friendship protects the other. Jonathan alerted David to the danger he was blind to. He could see things that David couldn't. He was in situations David wasn't privy to. And uh, let me tell you, close friends can see things in our lives better than we can ourselves often. Um, let me tell you, there, there are things that we are blind to. That's the definition of a blind spot, right? Uh, we can't see it because uh, we're blind to it. Uh, Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And when we're isolated and alone, we, we, we isolate and we seek only what we only want, but we don't have this perception of what we may be missing. There are people, and especially the friendships that we can count on, that say, I see something you're missing. I've had people that have the right to speak in my life, Say some things to me. I'm like, I need to get my attention on that. I, let me tell you, first of all, when we talk about this, we're talking about these friendships. Just because you see something wrong with someone doesn't mean you have the right to speak to them on so, certain things, right? Because they're just going to shut you out. You need to have built the right to speak into their life. That's the, the depth of friendship. And so uh, Solomon, uh, they, they have this friendship between Jonathan and David, um, but a friend will have this perception that we may miss. They may have a perspective outside of our own being in the fray. Have you ever just been in the mix-up in the fray and you are not seeing things clearly? And it takes someone else who sees things from the outside that can say, here's an idea. Um, maybe someone has told you, you know, I don't know how I feel about that investment. 
that you feel really good about, or I don't know how, if I feel like that relationship that you're running headlong into is the right thing for you. Or maybe they say to you, you know what, I'm concerned about your health and how you're taking care of yourself. Or maybe they've said to you, that color looks terrible on you. Um, That was a joke, but maybe they've said that, I don't know. Sometimes that friend is willing to say things that we don't want to hear, but it's literally because they love us too much to watch us walk to our own destruction. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And I'll tell you, kisses are always better than wounds. They're so much more fun, but let me tell you, a true friend will always speak honestly to you. So don't isolate yourself. When we isolate ourselves, we make ourselves targets for the enemy and we weaken our own strength uh back in 2018 i got to go on a safari it was amazing it was so cool in africa on the masai mara and uh we we went and we drove around it's all these amazing things and uh at the end of the first night we're driving back in our little jeep thing back to our hut and uh all of a sudden on the right it's getting dark there's a zebra that was standing by itself under a tree just standing there And it was weird because we saw thousands of zebras while we were out there. But they were always in a herd. And there's a reason why zebras stand in a herd. For one, the stripes actually do something. It confuses a lion or a predator because they're all stripes in different directions. They don't know which direction they may be facing, all that. The other reason they're in herds is there's lots of eyes in different directions. And so when one sees danger, that warns the rest. And so it was very odd to see this zebra by itself over there. And our guide who's driving the jeep, he looked over casually and he said, You see that zebra? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, that's a dead zebra. And we're like, oh, okay. So we went home for the night. Baboons jumped on our roof to wake us up in the morning. That was wild. Um, then uh, we got back in the Jeep. We come back down the hill. And under that same tree in the exact same spot, we saw this. We saw a mother lion with her cubs devouring a zebra. And uh, it was, I snapped this picture. I was like, whoa, it was so cool. But not for the zebra, of course. I, I, <laughs> as an observer, it was so cool. Let me tell you, when you isolate, you make yourself an easy target. We need someone that watches our back. We need someone who's, who's got your back then is the question. We need to take this down to like actual application then. Who's got my back? Who is watching out for me? Who's willing to say things that I might say, that's not tickling in my ears. I don't like hearing that, but it's truth. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. True friendships strengthen each other. True friendships strengthen each other. David spent many years running from Saul. He's on the lamb, right? He's out living in caves and and, and just kind of... Literally, if you look in the desert areas east of the Dead Sea, it is a whole lot of nothing out there. I, I dream of going to the Promised Land someday and seeing these areas, but it's desolate. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the videos. There's a lot of nothing out there. And he's living in these caves, like I mentioned, even living with the Philistines to survive. And I'm wondering if there's times where he's going, God... This living as your anointed thing is way overrated. Like, you poured the oil on me as a shepherd boy. I thought, how cool is that? Now I'm living in caves and running for my life most of my life. And so in 1 Samuel 23, David flees into the wilderness. He's in this barren area called Ziph. 
And it's between some really horrific things happening. There's been people that have been kidnapped and killed. There's been people that uh, Saul is closing in on David. He's about to surround him. And in the middle of this, in verse 16, this happens. It says, on the day near, or, uh, One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. I love how the ESV translated it, say, translates it. It says, Jonathan went and strengthened his hand in God. Together is better. It's not just a motivational speak, but strength. He didn't get, just give him, you know, some, some pep talk or something like that. Or like, you can do it, one, two, three, kind of thing like that. He strengthened him in God. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That consider, that means we need to be intentional about how we do it. It's not a passing statement, but how can I encourage my brothers and sisters? How can I encourage them today? Let me consider some ways that I can spur that person on. And so um, we need to consider how we do this. And Jonathan went and found David. He went out of his way, probably again at great risk, and strengthened David's hand in the Lord. We are better together. Do you know why geese fly in a V formation? Because it's a lot easier than flying in a Q formation. There's a whole lot of shape there to that. No, two reasons. According to an article I found in the Library of Congress article, it said uh, this. Number one, the wings of the birds in front create an updraft increasing the flying range of the group. So um, the actual wing tips actually create a vortex that lift up the birds behind it. They can fly as a group 71% further than they can individually. You think, what about the poor sap at the front that's constantly having to be the one that's, you know, breaking the way through? They rotate when they get tired. And they continue on further. Secondly, as being in the V formation, this is in that article, makes it easier to keep track of every bird in the group. The article stated that fighter pilots often use the same formation for the same reason. They're, they're called the wingman, right? To know where, the, where, where your person is at and, and to have their back. Um, you can be my wing day anyway, any day, Mav, right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, they support each other. They know where each other's at. If you're missing, I know it. If something's wrong, I'm aware. So we lift each other up and we spur each other on. And that's just birds. You might say birds aren't real. Okay, that's fine. But let's talk about horses. A single draft horse can pull up to 8,000 pounds. How many can two pull? You'd say, well, the math says 16,000 pounds, right? Two can actually pull up to 24,000 pounds. That's three times as much as a single horse. You see, the strength together doesn't just add, it multiplies. And so unity doesn't just uh, come together and we say, well, two of us can do twice as good. It actually multiplies our strength when we have one another. We strengthen one another. Thir- uh, third, I don't know what number I'm at. Seventeenth is this. True friendship pulls us in the, right, in the right direction. In the same way you would want two horses or oxen that are pulling something to be going in the same direction, you want relationships that encourage you in the direction you want to go. Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I saw a joke the other day, it said, it, it said uh, uh, a friend is there for you in a time of need, but a true friend helps you hide the body, or something like that. I was like, that's really dark. Um, while obviously that's a joke, I thought that spoke something interesting. While ob- a true friend does not enable destructive behavior. A true friend doesn't en- enable self-destructive behavior. Be- behavior. So if they see something like that, um, they, they should s- speak out. So is there someone that's pulling you in the wrong direction? Our, Craig Rochelle says that we become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. 
So who are the five people you're spending the most time with? Are they encouraging you towards Jesus? Are you walking in the same direction? We know that verse that says, do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Let's extrapolate that out beyond marriage. Who are you yoking yourself with in your life journey? Are they walking you towards Jesus? Are you sharing the same goal? So, next, number 18 is this. True friendships reflect deep love. The book of 1 Samuel closes with Israel. They're once again at war with the Philistines. There's this big battle that goes on. And Saul and his army are surrounded on this hill. And Saul is mortally wounded. He's very badly wounded. And so he falls on his own sword and kills, kills himself to avoid capture and torture. And also killed on the mountain that day were Saul's three sons, including Jonathan. And when David hears of Jonathan's death, the Bible says that he tears his clothes in deep grief and he mourns over him. And he writes a song of lament for Saul and Jonathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 and 27, it says this. David says, How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. How much I loved you, and your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. Now, this is a powerful lament here. And I think it's important. It's unfortunate we have to do this, but we, we talk, we mention this. There are people that speculate because of this verse in particular that there was something of a sexual nature between David and Jonathan. And it's unfortunate to me how impoverished our friendships are lacking in our culture that we would see a relationship that's close without there being some, something sexual tied to it. That we can't see a a relationship that is deeply tied and we say there must be something sexual to it. And it's very easy to dispel that this this is what the writer is talking about. First of all, um, the writer for Samuel uh, presents David as someone who's zealous to honor God's law. And Jewish law was very clear about that type of relationship being sinful. And it would have been incredibly inconsistent of David. Second, we see in 1st and 2nd Samuel that anytime David did break those laws that he was zealous about, he was very quickly confronted and corrected by God and the prophets. And so um, I think those two make it very clear. And the idea that the writer is even hinting about that is ridiculous. And it's a prime example of, I think, reading the Bible with an agenda rather than it standing on its own. And so um, as we look back at this verse, there's something that I really think is profound. David doesn't compare his love to Jonathan to sexual love. He contrasts it to sexual love. He said it's more than a love of women. So there's, there's this love that goes even beyond that, he says. It's a platonic love that is real and, and, and significant that, that matters to me. And so uh, theologian Tim Keller wrote this. He recently passed away, but he wrote a book um, called The Meaning of Marriage. And in it he noted, in times of distress, it's not the romantic parts of the marriage relationship that help. In times of distress, it's the friendship part. And so deep, meaningful, knit relationships, not simply romantic ones, are foundational for a healthy soul. I've always walked away then from this story. Here's our takeaway. You go, Brent, you just had 27 points and that's fine. What do I walk away with? What I've, what I've always walked away from this story is, is I need to find a Jonathan then. I need a good friend who's going to lift me up and spur me on and be that person. And that's how I've always received that. And that's actually probably how I've heard it taught to me. But let me tell you this. How many times have you heard... Are you a friend like Jonathan? I've heard many times, do you have a friend like Jonathan? But everyone wants a friend like Jonathan. Not many want to be a friend like Jonathan. So I I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but it's it's said of Jonathan. It says, rare nature is that of Jonathan seldom attain the highest place and records of their lives are all too few. But as they pass through the world, they strengthen man's faith and humanity and they leave behind them a fragrance 
that endures. We all want to be the main character, but greater love, as we're told, is to lay down one's life for their friend. So my question for you today is, as we get ready to go, is, am I someone's Jonathan? Not have I found my Jonathan. My wife has always told our boys when they get ready to go somewhere new or they're complaining they don't have friends, they say, well, are you being a friend, right? Am I being a Jonathan to someone? Am I strengthening their hand in the Lord? Am I spurring them forward? Let's not get caught up in the, I just can't find the right people and be the right person. Finally, is this, Jonathan relinquished all these rights to the throne. We talk about how he went out of his way to to warn David and to, to come through for him. He relinquished all the rights to the throne he had for the sake of David. But we we extrapolate this out. Look at Jesus. Jesus came much further than that. He came from heaven to earth for us. Jesus set aside his deity, his glory, and he took on humanity. Proverbs 18 says that we have a friend who sticks even closer than a brother. And Jesus came for us. And so here is the most important thing. There is a friend that is the most important friend you will ever have, and that's in Jesus. And I don't want to close today without this opportunity for you knowing Jesus. Because Jesus, the Bible is clear, is the only way to the Father. The only way we can know God is through Jesus, who came for us. Who laid aside his deity, his, his, his kingly robes, as it were, and came down and took on humanity in its frailty and its brokenness and died for you and me. So that he could call us friends. The book of John chapter 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have now made known to you. Jesus wants to call you friend. So this morning, can we bow our heads and close our eyes? As we close today, Are you in this room and you say, Pastor Brent, I've never given my life to Jesus. And right now, I want to know him as my friend and as my savior. I want to give you this opportunity. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you say, that's me, Pastor Brent, I want to surrender my life to Christ right now. Will you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Raise it high. I'm going to pray with this church. If you raised your hand or you're considering that prayer, I want you just to pray this prayer within your heart and within your mind as we pray. And if you have come to the point where you're ready to make that decision, I would love to talk with you after the service. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the Savior who came for us, that you are the friend who sticks closer than any brother. You came to ransom us, that you set aside all the things that were rightfully yours in your kingdom so that we could have salvation. Lord, I pray that you would continue to show yourself to those who are seeking you, who are looking for truth. And Lord, I pray that we would ourselves become more and more like Jonathan's, more and more like uh, those who serve, not out of a place of what we earned or deserve, but because we love one another as you have loved us, Christ. And we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We went a little bit long. Second service is getting ready to come in. But here's what I ask. We haven't done our connection cards yet. Will you please fill out your connection cards? Go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or use the paper ones in the seat back in front of you. Ushers, if we could have you guys at the doors just holding a bucket, um, you can drop the paper ones in those buckets on your way out um, or through the Sunday links do that. Let us know what we can be praying with you about. If there's something going on that we can be lifting up in prayer, we want to know what that is. If God's begun a miracle that we've been praying for, let us know what that miracle is. We want to celebrate with that with you, all right? 
Church, have a wonderful, wonderful day. We will see you in life groups this week. Go with God. Be blessed.